May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dear fellow servants of our Savior Jesus, first a question. What did you get from the introduction you just heard or read? Did you give it any conscious thought? Or has it become so familiar, so comfortable, that they are now just comfortable words in a routine that we are comfortable ignoring? This morning's reading is the first verse of our sermon text, and there is enough in this one verse to serve by itself as a text for any sermon. The word translated knowledge, for example, really has no single English word equivalent. It's an intensification in the Greek of our word knowledge or understanding. It would be best translated as sure knowledge, certain knowledge. Look at the bottom of your arm. Do you see a hand hanging there? That's certain knowledge. And that sort of certain knowledge in God's Word is only possible when it comes from God Himself. So what this first simple verse is actually saying to us, what he's telling us here, is that true grace and peace can only be ours in connection with the certain knowledge of God and of His Son, Jesus. And there's more to find here. But we regard this as evidence of a problem that we need to address. Not just this morning, every single day of our lives. And that is this, no matter how important the information, no matter how great the promises, no matter how eternal the consequences, we have the terrible ability, in fact the proclivity, toward yawning through even the greatest things that our God reveals to us in His Word, especially if it requires some thought, some concentration. We can be pretend ignoring that which requires a bit of thought. Even if the gifts are sublime that God offers us and the stakes are eternal, heaven or hell. So the answer, the solution or remedy to this problem is to truly study God's Word, to dissect it and to examine it in intricate detail until, to the fullest extent possible, we grasp what our God is communicating to us in His Word, because that's how He conveys to us the truth, the comfort, the peace that He wants to be ours. So that's our goal this morning, is to take this Word of God to dissect it, to learn from it, to be comforted by it. Our text is found in Peter's second epistle, uh, the first chapter beginning with the second verse, which again was the beginning, the introduction that we just didn't hear. May God's grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, the certain knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word that we might not simply hear these words and forget them, but rather be strengthened, comforted, inwardly digest them, we pray or be, we begin with this simple prayer. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. One of the greatest obstacles to our to a greater appreciation of what it is that we've been given, what has been done for us, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, is our dismal lack of appreciation for the predicament in which we found ourselves and the escape or rescue that was necessary if we were to avoid an eternity in hell. This, therefore, has to be our starting point. My prayer is that each of us might be first granted a greater appreciation for where we were, the, the, the dread, the horror that was our lot before our God rescued us to get a sense, at least, of the helplessness that was ours. It's difficult, try as you mind, it's difficult to try to come up with any sort of example or parallel in this life. Because most of the parallels you can find here are temporary. They end with, at worst, death. The, the best I've come up with, and some of you have heard it before, but was that woman in 
that young woman in 1968 who was kidnapped and buried alive by her kidnappers in a plywood box. So short she was unable to stretch out full length and she lay there in utter darkness for more than three days, her only connection to the outside world, a small breathing tube. I would imagine that unlike the vast majority in our world, she perhaps understood true helplessness as she lay there for almost four days. Because there was nothing she could do buried under many feet of dirt. She had no tools. She had no means. She could and did scratch her fingernails until they bled. And yet she could not free herself from that tomb. And she recognized that her only hope was to be rescued, which thankfully she was. So draw from this, compare and contrast our predicament before our rescue. We were entombed in our own unbelief and sin. We could not escape that tomb. We could not free ourselves. In fact, the more we tried, the worse it got. Because we tried to add our effort, and that effort could not free us. In fact, it only diminished our only source of escape, which was Christ and faith in his goodness. So, what we would try to do is to have something at our disposal to accomplish an escape and if we're honest, we recognize that we have nothing. Because escape could only be ours with perfection. And we were born thoroughly sinful and imperfect. We were born with sin that condemned us. And then we added mountains of it all on our own. That would be bad enough, but it gets even worse. Not only were we buried and utterly helpless in our own box of unbelief, we had absolutely no sense or idea that we were in any sort of danger. Satan's an expert at that. He's an expert at convincing the unbeliever that all is well. Just relax, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So though we were entombed in our unbelief, though we would awaken to the torments of hell, Satan had convinced us there's nothing to worry about. That's the nature of unbelief. And that was us. That is where we want to begin, to gain a sense of there is nothing I could have done and there was no question about my eternal future, which was hell, rightly deserved. Now understand, this is absolutely necessary if you and I are to come to terms with, first of all, our former situation, because it's really not until we embrace this horror, this helplessness, our impending calamity, that we can begin to appreciate the impact of the words of our text. 
that we can appreciate our release, our escape, and then even more. Hear them again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Put yourself first back in the box. And now, this? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Savor these words. Study them. You won't get the full import in one sermon. Take them home with you. Inwardly digest them. Study, meditate on them until you begin to grasp the the full import of what God is here telling us. Who or what is it that rescued us? Peter tells us that it was through his precious and very great promises that we have been released from the prison of our unbelief. This is purest, sweetest gospel. And it's only as pure and sweet as it should be when we recognize our own helplessness our own inability to do anything. And into that picture, God sent his son. And Jesus, by his perfect life and innocent death, dug us from the tomb of our unbelief and set our feet feet on the path to life. And he, he not only thereby washed us clean, providing the goodness that was required for our release, the ransom for our captivity. He not only washed us clean, he calls us now his children, his fellow heirs. And he says we will be partakers of the divine nature. See, all Christians, as we've heard often, all religions rather, are based on you must do it yourself. You must escape from the box of unbelief. You must escape from the box of your sinful desire, from your lust, from your, all of your sins. You have to fix that. But you know better. You know that you could not escape from that box. And then our heart thrills to the message of comfort that Christ has redeemed us. Christ has paid what we owed. And when we stand before God in heaven, it is not, look what I've done, it's, thank you for your son who rescued me. Thank you for your son who released me. Thank you for Jesus who provided every bit of goodness necessary to ransom me. Every other religion in the world teaches, you must do it. And only, therefore, if we're honest, increases our frustration, increases our helplessness, because we've got nothing. Well, this is certainly reason enough to thrill to the message of our text. Don't miss those incredible proclamations found here. Here we also learn not only that Jesus has 
provided us an escape, has rescued us by his own glory and excellence from our text. He has also made us partakers of the divine nature. Now, we try to come up with examples from this life to illustrate what we read in God's word. We can find that helpful sometimes. I don't think there's anything, anything at all, that we can use as a parallel to he will make us partakers of the divine nature. More than one thing happened when we were rescued from our tomb, didn't it? First of all, we were brought to life. We were made new creatures. That new man in us was born. That holy, righteous part. And so we became, when we were, when we were released from the box, more than what we were when we were in it. Much more. But that's only part of it. That's the here and now. We are children of God. We are now part of the communion of saints. But you notice how our text talks about the future. We will be given or be made partakers of the divine nature. Now that refers to more than just the new man in us now. That talks about in heaven. Now God lives within us. That's an amazing truth. But even greater, miraculous transformation will take place in heaven. Again, we will not, you will not likely grasp this in this short time that we have together. Take this home. Meditate on this. Ask yourself what that means that I will one day be made a partaker of the divine nature of my God. And then contrast it again with the tomb of our unbelief. So this is our rescue. What about the curie? What about the guarantee? What about the going forward? And that's what the curie is in our liturgy. The Lord have mercy on me. It's not again asking for forgiveness. It's having confessed our sins and been assured of God's forgiveness through faith in Christ. The curie is our plea going forward. I am your child, God, but what about the future? What about going forward? Because I am fully capable of messing anything up in my life, especially something like this. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Three times, Lord, have mercy. Could you imagine anyone ever wanting, once released from being buried alive, ever wanting to go back? I can. On Judgment Day. That's exactly what Jesus was referring to, wasn't it? When he said, on that day, the unbelievers will cry out to the mountains, cover us. Fall on us into the hills, cover us. Because anything will be preferable to God's declaration, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. No one, no one wants that. So having been rescued, what kind of assurance, what kind of guarantee could God possibly give us? 
Peter, speaking by inspiration on our text, is aware that as ridiculous as it may sound, Christians are nonetheless very capable of foolishness on the grandest scale. Christians down through history have inexplicably returned to the despair from which they were rescued. And how could such a thing happen, having been freed? You heard references, although there was no point of reference. You heard words to this in our Old Testament reading, where God gave us the law, not to save us, but as remembrances. He said, lest you forget what you've seen, lest you forget your rescue from Egypt. In most cases, this inexplicable return to the tomb of unbelief doesn't happen quickly. It happens incrementally, painfully, slowly, often. So much so that no change is noted. Usually the first sign is the first stages of apathy, indifference. Church attendance, use of the word of God becomes sporadic and then ends altogether. The tender plant that is the Christian faith is never watered, begins to shrivel, and eventually will die. And then that person finds himself right back in the box and is inexplicably fine with that. Now there is no doubt that we are saved by God's grace through faith. Yet the amazing truth here in the second half of this text, this word from our God, this truth that the Holy Spirit attempts to communicate to us is God's guarantee regarding our future. How can we ever know that we won't be so foolish as to throw away what God has given us? Hear God's promise in our text. And you need some conscious effort to follow this through. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now we're going to get to this because the initial inclination is, wait, supplement faith? I thought it was faith alone that saves us. It is. As Peter made clear repeatedly, as all of Scripture teaches. But as Paul said, you have an armor from God. Put it on. It's not that by which you are saved. You don't save yourselves by putting it on, but put it on because he gave it to you. So Peter, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Now Think of these things in this list. It just builds on itself. You have been saved by grace through faith alone. Faith worked in you by the Holy Spirit. But here's part of my guarantee. Add these things in your life. We continue. And self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, if this is what you're about, and are increasing, we talked about 
not the church defensive, not individual Christians huddling in fear as the disciples after the resurrection for fear of the Jews, but a church on the offense, the post-Pentecost church that stands boldly in the courtyard, shares the word. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the guarantee. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. God himself is telling us, you want to ensure that you never become entombed again? Here's how you access the power that guarantees that you will not lose the freedom that's been given to you. Now, some are troubled by, puzzle over, make your calling and election sure. Understand those words. That doesn't mean sure to God. That means sure to you. This is just making use of God's guarantee. That good thing you've been given, you want to preserve it? This is how you do it. We have no doubt that we are saved by God's grace through faith alone. As I said, Peter mentioned that. Listen again in this text. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our salvation is by God's grace through faith alone, an undeserved, unearned gift. That was our release. But once we're brought to faith, that new man in us is brought to life. We're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We can aid in the preservation of that faith. As Luther said, however weakly, however imperfectly, it's not as though there are two matched horses pulling the wagon. But we have a godly will. And God has given us tools to put at our disposal so that by His power again, we are preserved in this faith. So do you want some guarantee coming forward, going forward again do you want to make your calling and election sure? Do you want to be sure about the future? Here's steps you can take. Now, this isn't earning it any more than... So imagine when you're little and something threatens you, a dog snarling and baring its teeth and about to pounce, and your dad says, stand behind me. And he you imagine the little child bragging, I defeated him? No. But you stood behind the thing that would. So God is here saying, this is what you stand behind. This is what I've given you to protect you. And he's, he gave us that picture in different images, didn't he? He gave it to us in our second reading with the armor of God. This is what I've given you. Use it. Jesus himself said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So our text here gives us direction. 
If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Doesn't this tell us that that list that we read there is worthy of further study on our part? Isn't it worthy of our time and effort for something as important as eternity? As important as the preservation of this gift we've been given? Of course it does. Take it home. Study it. And let this be our prayer. God grant to each of us this morning a full and complete understanding of the horror of the captivity that was ours at one time. Grant us the grace to thrill to the escape that has been provided for every single one of us by your undeserved love through faith in our Savior Jesus alone. Grant us astonishment at the change that has been worked in us, pure excitement at what lies ahead, and the humble wisdom to make use of the power that you have placed at our disposal to preserve us in the freedom and future that we have been given. Amen.